Thanks, Bart. Thank you, Aaron. Thanks, Rick. That is a good song for the times, Aaron. I agree. This morning's scripture from 2 Corinthians chapter 4 starts with a therefore. And remember, whenever you see a therefore, you've got to see what it's there for. So I encourage you to read uh, chapters 1 to 3 as well. So 2 Corinthians 4, verses 1 to 11. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body of death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. The word of God. Before we delve into the sermon, I have this morning a little more scripture to read. I ask that you... Seek to listen in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. These are verses from the Old Testament, um, from the book of the law uh, in the Old Testament, from wisdom literature, from the epistles, from prophetic literature, and words from our Lord Jesus Christ himself. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. That's Leviticus. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. That's from the book of Proverbs. More from Proverbs. Open your, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute, Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. Proverbs 31. From 1 John, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? From the book of Jeremiah, Thus says the Lord, Do justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed. And do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless, and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. From Zechariah, 
Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. And let none of you devise evil against one another in your heart. And then the words of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ from Matthew 25, and you should read that whole chapter today. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. Some could accuse Scripture of being naive. Maybe accuse me of being naive, and I understand that there are considerations in our world of security, uh, other matters. So uh, we could argue about what's right and wrong in various things in, in our world, but on this issue, as much as in my authority in this church, there is no argument as to what is biblical or Christian. We're going to talk this morning about Christian witness. This is an extremely important matter in our world today. And uh, we're struggling with this now. So. Well, a lighter note. I am sometimes told, maybe with things like this, people tell me, I've heard people say this to other people too. Um, uh, Jen used to get this particularly, and now working in the schools, you might get it sometimes, but Jen used to get this particularly working in group homes with disabled kids and adults, and I get it as a pastor. People come up and say, you know, I could never do your job. And I think they intend it as a compliment, but it's kind of a, an insult as well. Like, you know, you're so great. You, like, this is to Jen. People will say you're so great to me, but they do to Jen. Um, you're so good at what you do, and, and sometimes it's like, well, you're kind of looking down on me at the same time, aren't you? In terms of a pastor, I, could not, I couldn't do your job. It's not always that looking down upon, maybe sometimes, maybe not even most of the time, but people can simply say, you know, I couldn't do things like go and, and sit in ICU when someone's dying or funerals and whatever else, some of the tragic things and sorrowful things or work with families who are in distress or argument or the politics of a church. Often I'll hear it around that people who disagree and whatever else. And this is a relatively healthy church. Uh, but I'll say this morning as we consider vocation, I'm going to tell you why you're here on this earth, particularly if you're a Christian. And as we consider work and vocation, I'll say right from the outset, I love what I do. Uh, I'm grateful for it, tremendously grateful. There's a sense of call for me in this. I've been in it now for years, but it always helps me to recall in my life that work uh, has been an area of struggle for me in the past. I'm not good when I hate my work. In fact, I'm just about useless. And I don't know if God just made me this way that there's really nothing else I could do. I don't know. I think I probably could. But I think back to some of the jobs I had when I was younger, high school and afterwards, and I still recall now and think, I'm just grateful I'm not working for college pro painters right now. <laughs> Painting houses was one thing, like with really sketchy like, like uh, safety and whatever else, and trying to get it down to the last penny so we would get the right bid on the job. Uh, but what was worse about that job was I had to do cold calling, like knocking on people's doors saying, do you want your house painted? It looks terrible. Not like that, but... When I worked at BC Place Stadium selling souvenirs, and I worked at the U2 concert 30 years ago, the Joshua Tree Tour, and I made a ton of money that night. And that was a good job. 
I think mostly because they made a lot of money. It was fun, and I got to see shows. For me, though, as I look at my own kind of who I'm made to be, my personality, I have struggled in my work life when, when I don't see a connection to work and meaning. And I pray for myself about that. I pray for you about that. Some people are okay with just kind of go to work, work whatever. It doesn't have to feel that meaningful. But other people aren't like that. I worked, before I got into church work, I worked in a bank, which is just like God making a joke on me and the rest of the world. Because I would think at the time, can you imagine anything so terrible as working in a bank? Uh, Of course, it can be wonderful and it can be ministry. But for me, it was a tough go. Faith and purpose, work and vocation. These are things that are very important matters in the Christian life. And as I said, I'm going to tell you why you're here on this earth. As a Christian, your being, your very being, is grounded in vocation while you're here. We'll end with this statement as well in the sermon this morning and hope that by the time we get there, you uh, understand a little more what that means. If I were to ask you to describe a perfect life, a good life, I think we're past this mostly now, but the knee-jerk reaction to that for many people is some kind of variation of the good life is I do whatever I want and I get whatever I want. Uh, it, it's, it's remarkable how quickly we go to that. And I've told you before about you can watch television and, and, the, and the lottery ads. It's changed a little bit now, but certainly in the recent past, if you win the lottery, you get to do whatever you want, which means that's what people would aim for. It turns out that the actual good life, and there's been many studies on this now, there's whole fields of psychology and philosophy, psychology particularly in the last 40, 50 years, into what actually makes a good life. And it turns out that doing whatever you want and getting whatever you want don't really bring you the good life. The good life, for most people, has attached to it a sense of meaning and a sense that you matter to someone. Those two things. That there's meaning in life and that you matter to someone. Of course, in Christian faith and in other religious circles as well, the question that would come along with that is, Meaning and mattering to someone, those big important things, can these things be found without God? And there's wide fields of research and some neo-atheists who, this is their number one question actually, and they'll say, yes, meaning can be found without God. And they'll make sometimes really good arguments. I'm interested in reading those things, but for me as a Christian, of course, my call is to describe how meaning can be found in God. I don't have to settle that other argument. So 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, here's the, here's the kind of putting the scripture that Richard's read for us and kind of holding it here above us in this room. Here's the heart of it. God is like this. God is light shining in the darkness. From the creation account, through all of redemption, to fulfillment in the wedding supper of the Lamb, God is light shining in the darkness. And that light has shone, this is what this text will say, that light has shone, speaking to Christians, in our hearts. So now, we have this treasure in jars of clay. Beautiful, beautiful language. We have this treasure of the light of God's revelation in jars of clay. In other words, we have vocation 
purpose and meaning in this world, and the text continues, to show that surpassing power belongs to God and not us. This is our vocation, to witness to the Christian gospel. There is in this call a consideration first of what does this mean about our relationship with our fellow man, with the rest of humanity? And the Christian church in fits and starts has done relationships with humanity well and at other times terribly poorly. First, as we understand our vocation, the light has shone in our hearts and now we show this light of God, the love of Jesus Christ. The first note on the screen is that we have a union with humanity. This is part of meaning and vocation. And the union is described in some of the things that happen to people who are witnessing. They're afflicted, they're crushed, they're persecuted, they're struck down. Of course, some of this is how they're treated um, in opposition at times, and this is going on in our world today still. Christians are persecuted around the world. But the other part of this description is that the things that the rest of people in the world face, suffering, difficulty, pain, loss, grief, and sorrow, Christians will face as well. As I often put it, I stole it from somebody else, when a Christian hits their thumb with a hammer, it hurts the same way as when a non-Christian does. But there are Christians who would have you believe that's not true. We experience humanity as other people experience humanity. It's an important point in terms of our Christian witness. Our witness is not that we are separated somehow from humanity and everything goes perfectly well for us and wouldn't it be great if you became one of us. We can identify with humanity because we are human, not removed from the human experience. Our greatest witness includes this. So a good friend and part of this church, Claudia Jurkovic, will pray for her later uh, in the service. She is in Slovakia right now because her father died very suddenly and very unexpectedly last Monday. Uh, Claudia had spoken with him the night before, and they had purchased tickets to go on a cruise with their family. Claudia's mom and dad and the Yurkamix going on a cruise in Mexico in April. Spoke with him the night before, and the next day she got a call saying that her father had passed away. And she's tra- she traveled there now. I haven't received an update. I'll talk to Peter afterwards. And, of course, we prayed for her before she went, and her number one request was, well, first of all, that God would strengthen and comfort her, but that God would strengthen and comfort her so that she could witness to her faith in the light of this loss. It's not that the loss is avoided. It's not that Christians don't suffer as much as non-Christians. It's what do we do in response to this? How do we show this light that has shone in our hearts? And I'll say this about Claudia. I think she's going to do just fine. In the field of psychology, happiness studies, uh, And the the philosophical background to this, there are schools of, you would know the word hedonism, that the idea is, you know, do whatever you want and get whatever you want and and just, you know, look after your own pleasure and that will give you the good life. Later on in philosophy, a a man named Jeremy Bentham, and we still struggle with this now, came up with a a school of philosophy called utilitarianism. just means utility, usefulness. And basically what he said was you can measure the good life by determining 
there's, there's two things going on in everybody's life, pleasure and pain. And maximizing pleasure and minimizing pain is what will bring you the good life. You can take that individually, and then we could take that as a whole here. So maximum utility, that's why it's called utilitarianism. Maximum benefit for the most of us will be the thing that we should chase after. And this kind of held within philosophy and psychology for various years with some, for a number of years with people pushing back. One of the people who pushed back against this named Robert Nozick, he's a philosopher, um, a professor at Harvard. He died in 2002. And I don't know how much he contributed to this discussion, but he had one, one thought experiment that has stuck with me, and I read it recently as well. He said, okay, if the idea was just get as happy as you can and that will be the good life, then we could try this thought experiment. So you ready to try this? Imagine that we could put you in a tank, kind of suspended in some kind of fluid. And you would be, would you be unconscious? Maybe. But in that tank, you were hooked up to various machines that gave you any sensation that you wanted at any particular time. You would program the machine in advance. And so you want to feel like you've written a novel? You can get that feeling. You want to feel like you've had this experience in a relationship? You can get that feeling. You want to feel the pull, the spiritual high of some kind of worship experience or a concert setting, whatever it is. You'll be in the tank, but you'll get that feeling. If it was just about happiness, people would choose this. But what's interesting is almost nobody says that they would. Why? There's, there's something, and researchers, researchers are discovering this now. For me and my Christian faith, I just keep seeing how true the gospel is over and over and over and over again and more and more. And what, research, what researchers are discovering is that even though we might experience or we will experience sorrow, loss, grief, strife, stress, people will choose over and over again human connection and real experiences. This makes sense in light of the gospel. We are united with humanity. However, the other side of this, since the second point here, the other side of this union with humanity is that the Christian, to the Christian, there is a difference in how we see the world and how we measure certain things, very important things. I am not to see the world the same as someone who is not a Christian. The way I would put it is, I have been awakened to the love of Jesus Christ, the reality of that in this world, that will change how I think about things. For example, from where do I derive meaning? Well, not mostly from my career, though that might well be important. What do I count as success in life? And you will face this over and over again. And you live in a world where even in the church, we adopt most of the time the default settings of the world around us. But to a Christian, success means something different. And what do I do? We've spoken about this with sorrow, grief, and loss. It is not just meaningless, even when we don't know the meaning. It's not to shake our finger and to, to say because of our faith that we know better than other people. Rather, it's to help others to see this light of God that we believe has shone in our hearts. We have this treasure of jar, in jars of clay. We are different. Even though we're in union with humanity, we have been awakened. You see where our vocation begins to come in? Now you are to witness to this. In this text, verses 3 and 4, the, the idea here, you, remember, you probably noted this most when Richard read it. 
you know, the gospel is veiled, but it's only veiled to those who are perishing, and it can sound like harsh language. It's just the truth. Some people have not seen the love of Jesus Christ. They're not our opponents. And it says the gods of this world, or the God of this world, the way of this world has blinded people. That's the same way in which it blinds the gods of this world blind you at times. Most specifically, before you came to faith. I thought life was just about gathering up stuff. I thought it was about finding my identity in this role, whatever that might be. And in that way, we're blinded to seeing the gospel of Jesus Christ. But let's go back to work for a couple of minutes before I end on the note of vocation. Thinking about work and meaning in this world. And I'll put before you, what if your work is soul-destroying? Or what if you're retired? Right? Do you have Christian vocation if you're retired? But let's go back to what if your work is soul-destroying. I told you my early jobs I struggled with. One of my first jobs was working in McDonald's. Um, I enjoyed it for the three months that I did it before I realized. I quit when I got a raise from $3 an hour to $3.10 an hour. And they told me I couldn't be doing any better. And I went, well, 80 cents a day. I bet you I could do better than that. But anyway... Uh, I enjoyed it, for the most part. But I remember, why do we have, why, you should ask yourself this, why do certain scenes stick in your memory and others don't? They're not always the most meaningful or memorable things that you, that you carry with you for your whole life. One of the scenes that I remember, and it would be interesting to get a video of the same actual time, because now I don't even know if the, if the, if the scene is right as I remember it. But I remember taking the garbage out one night at McDonald's when I was on shift. And walking into the past the little gate where the dumpster was. And, and I remember thinking, this is the worst place to be in the world. I hate everything about this. And I've got like seven hours left or something like that. <laughs> I was a Christian at the time, growing in my faith, and my faith mattered a great deal to me. And into my mind, I think, by the power of the Holy Spirit and my own spiritual discipline, I had to know the word to recall the word. Into my mind came the words, whatever you do, do it unto the Lord. And I hated the day just as much, but I thought, well, I'll try that. I'll put this garbage into the dumpster really well. Maybe that is why I still admire, often even more so than somebody who's just changed the world with some invention or something. I have great admiration for people who just work so hard at what others would consider menial jobs. And some who do so with such dignity to people around them. There is a dignity in work itself. Christian vocation, though, is more than grin and bear it. It's more than convince yourself. It's more than me that night saying, well, I hate what I'm doing, but I guess I better do it for God. Christian vocation properly understood is gift. And we have lost a great deal of this. I think sometimes with good cause. Next week we'll talk about the task of the Christian community in the world. We'll delve further into this. And I think that arguments could be made that Christian witness has lost a lot of its power. And I'm not saying like there was a good old day. There was never a good old day. But we have, for various reasons, at times, failed to see Christian vocation as gift, not burdensome duty, not you darn well, glad I changed the text there, you darn well better witness, how's your witness? 
and it's the last thing you want to do. Christian vocation, and I ask again for you to consider the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Christian vocation, like all the best gifts, all the true gifts, is blessing to giver and receiver. We must walk through this consideration and a change must come. We have something to say about this that matters. Ultimately, meaning does not come from my work and your meaning does not come from your work when you are a Christian. It doesn't mean that your work is not meaningful. I didn't say that. But the ultimate meaning comes from the relationships in your life, the presence of God in your midst, and the call to bear witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ who has done for every person in this world what he has done for you. So we consider Christian vocation in light of Christ. This text, verses 7 to 11, but we would bookend it with verse 1. Verse 1 is, we have this ministry by the mercy of God. This ministry of the light has shone in our hearts and we're to show it, this vocation and witness. We have this ministry, therefore, we do not lose heart. And that would be another key part of my injunction to you this morning is no matter the circumstance, don't lose heart in terms of Christian witness. You aren't to look to yesterday and think, oh, we should get back to that, it would be better. You are, look to, you are to look to today and tomorrow and say, we have a call to witness to the presence of Christ in this world. Verse 11 puts it clearly. We may have even been given over to death, but the life of Jesus Christ is made manifest in us. It is not, and churches who think this make mistakes, it is not that we bring Jesus to people. Right? Like we carry him around like our best accessory. It is rather that we show people the presence of Christ already there. He has already done for them what he has done for us. And we are to show this light and reflect it. This is our Christian vocation. And in light of Christ, our Christian vocation, two considerations similar to the humanity considerations. Firstly, our Christian vocation, we are united with humanity, so we are also united with Christ. The life of Christ has been made manifest in us. Have you seen this in a community? Has somebody cared for you, spoken to you, prayed for you, shared a word with you? And it is them. Sure, it's, in, it's all them. And you love their very presence. But what they're doing is bigger than them because it's reflecting the presence of Christ in their life for your blessing. So I didn't ask her, and she's away right now, so she didn't get a choice, but to continue with the Claudia illustration. So Claudia comes to our home group on Tuesday night. She's leaving Wednesday to fly to Slovakia. And we pray for Claudia, and she stands in the middle of our living room, and a few people gather around her. And some people start weeping a little bit. And Feli, who's here this morning, prays for Claudia. And guess what happens? Christ is made manifest. We are together with Christ in union. But just as in terms of humanity, but now for different reasons, we also remain who we are. The real way of understanding this, Jesus doesn't obliterate your identity despite what any church tells you. 
By God's grace, my faith has allowed me to remain who I am and frankly to become who I am. And this church has supported that very, very strongly. But that's not always the case in religious communities that promote conformity. You have to think this way. You have to act this way. We are in union with Jesus Christ, but in Jesus Christ we become who we are, distinctly ourselves. Our identity is not consumed, evaporated, or diminished. You should be glad that there are people in this church who are not in many ways at all like you. We are not a barracks. We are not called to conform and be the same as one another. I think of a famous kid's book. I think it came out after his death. It was from some of his sketches before. But Hooray for Diffendoofer Day by Dr. Seuss. Speaking against conformity. Here is what we seek to do. We seek to show that we are liberated and summoned. Please hear those words. We seek to show that we are liberated, free to be who we are, to be ourselves, free to discover, indeed, our true identity. But as we are liberated, we are also summoned. We are called with a purpose because so many people in this world have not seen the love of Jesus Christ. It's veiled. We are summoned with this purpose, and in that summons, we are not alone. We do that, each of us individually, but also in community with the Christian church as a whole. That is why it is terribly troubling for me. I was going to say difficult, but I haven't really faced any great difficulty like that in my life. But it is troubling to me because we are not alone. We witness with the entirety of the Christian church. It is troubling to me when the Christian church, in whatever expression, allows itself to be dominated by fear and control. Because if you go out saying things like that, I mean, people drive by this church, they see the cross on the front, and they think, they may think, well, I bet you that place is one of those places that just kind of doesn't like most people. And if you go out and are speaking to people mostly, and they hear in your voice fear, anxiety about the other, whatever it might be, you are bearing witness. I'm with you. I'm, I'm not with you maybe in what you're saying, but I'm a Christian with you. And it affects me. I want to help you to see this truth that we're liberated and summoned. The best things in the world are gospel things. The best things in the world are gospel things. We will consistently discover this as we look to see the presence of Christ in the world around us. If this gospel is true, then even small examples of light, small examples of its light, will be compelling. I think we must grow in how we see, discover, and view, and notice this thing, these things. I think we have to open our eyes to the rest of the world, not close our eyes. But we open our eyes not to conform to the rest of the world, but to be renewed by the presence of Jesus Christ and to see Jesus Christ working. In other words, to be able to say to some people who are very moved by some gospel things, they might never consider being a Christian to that point in their lives, but they're deeply moved by somebody caring for somebody else, by self-sacrifice, whatever it might be. And we find the ways to say, you know what you did there? I mean, you have to do this lovingly. You just reflected the love of Jesus Christ. But I don't believe. Oh, yeah, well, that's gospel, though. So I'm watching a news report. Jennifer and I are together the other night. 
And it's uh, on this dance class. I think it was in Ontario. Uh, It's been going for over a decade. And it's a dance class that a woman runs for patients with Parkinson's disease. Um, And uh, I I put it on your So What sheet, and you can look that up. If you want to get that digitally, let me know, because then you can just click the link. But the actual news report, you can watch yourself. But I'll just kind of try to describe it to you, keeping in mind that I'm describing people with Parkinson's disease and don't want to mock Uh, So this woman runs a class, and she started this class, as I say, over a decade ago, and she goes into care centers and other facilities. Some of the people with advanced Parkinson's are not that old who she's working with. And so this degenerative nerve disease, right, that affects your movement and your muscles uh, and eventually just becomes really devastating. People go to this dance class, and they shouldn't be able to dance, but she puts on the music, and her and her other volunteers, they bring the people up, and as they begin to dance to the music or something about the music and the motion, they discover a fluidity of motion that they had not known maybe for years. And it's difficult to watch. One of the men, you'll see him if you watch the video, he's got crazy socks on. I'd like his socks. So anyway, take a look. He's older and dressed like, you know, he's not trying to, he doesn't have anybody to impress that day. And he can't even get up out of his chair, I don't think. But he's sitting there with shorts on or something so that I can see his socks. And he looks like he is working so hard to get this dance right. His face is just determined and he's moving his arms and he is trying so hard. And it's a thing of beauty to watch. What's interesting in this case from the point of view just of society in general is this woman was running these classes long before the science said anything about it. And now all kinds of university professors and others, this was the occasion of the story, are seeing how well this is working with Parkinson's patients and asking the scientific questions as to why. I have no idea about this woman's faith position, and I wouldn't want to you know, co-opt any of that, but I did know this when I was watching it. That's gospel. Not the whole of the gospel. She's not, at least in what I saw, proclaiming faith in Jesus Christ. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying this is bringing people freedom. This is allowing people to see to greater depths who they are. And maybe if I was in conversation with somebody like that and we got around to talking about it, I would be able to say, do you know you're reflecting the love of Christ in what you're doing? And if she said, I don't believe in Jesus, I'd say, well, it's okay. Take up this call. Your Christian vocation is to be a witness to the love of God in the world, a witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Of course, I am speaking evangelically because, of course, the hope is that this, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would remove that veil so that people could see. Our gospel has always said this, that happiness doesn't come in getting what you want and doing what you want. It comes from human connection together with an understanding that there is a God over all this world who loves us all. Take up your Christian vocation to be a witness to the love of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is this, that God has turned towards us, not away from us in Jesus Christ, and that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can turn towards God in Jesus Christ. We have this treasure in jars of clay. And we are jars of clay. 
for we do have this treasure. And the world needs it now as much as ever. As a Christian, your being is grounded in vocation. My favorite theologian put it this way, as witnesses to Jesus Christ, we will simply do, this is always how he writes, so just stay with me, okay? Walk through that. Look at it on the screen. Can you see it? Is it too small? No, it's all right. But as witnesses to Jesus Christ, we will simply do, and no more is required, though this indeed is required. We will simply do that which we can to proclaim the gospel in our own age and place, even if it's throwing that garbage into the dumpster. We will seek to do what we can do to proclaim the gospel in our own age and place and circle, doing it with great humility and good temper, but also with the resoluteness which corresponds to the great certainty of our hope in Jesus Christ. There isn't one Christian in this room who doesn't have this vocation. And if you're not a Christian in this room, I don't mean to separate and speak as if there are two kinds of groups of people. Because in terms of what God has done for us, He's done it for each and every one of us. So if you are a Christian, would you consider the fullness of these good things? Would you examine your own life and consider this? But of course I mean as a gift. How have you failed to see the gift that you are called to witness to the love of Jesus Christ? And will you seek to grow in this? Will you ask God to renew this part of your life of faith? And if you are not a Christian, would you consider the fullness of this treasure? It is the power of the Holy Spirit that helps you to see this. Not certainly simply not my words or somebody else's argument. Presentation. This treasure in jars of clay. And would you say, dear Heavenly Father, would you open my eyes to the truth of the love of Jesus Christ? Forgive me of my sins, but help me to see that my sin is never the big story. Your love, your grace, and your power. I don't know what's going to happen in the church in the next 5, 10, 15, 50 years. I know that the gates of hell will never prevail against it. But I do think that we're at a transitional time in terms of what it means to witness as Christians. And I do know that each of us have this responsibility to take this up before the Lord. Let us pray together. So as we pray, we bring before God some of the people that are in our community that we consider who have asked for prayer or that we know could receive prayer. And we pray for our offering and then we pray for responsiveness to this word of God. Heavenly Father, we have prayed this morning prayers of confession. We come before you knowing that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we trust in you, Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for Tierney with us. As Tierney has surgery in, I think, less than a couple of weeks away, that you would bless her and strengthen her in any place of fear or uncertainty, that you would be there and be her comfort. We pray for Claudia at this time, being 
back in Slovakia, that you would strengthen her, help her to know your powerful presence, be with her in her sorrow and her grief, and help her by her faith to help others. And we trust her father to your mercy. We pray for Marilyn Bissell, who had this recent heart attack but is recovering, and we pray for a full um, and speedy recovery and for um, all good things in terms of medical systems and insurance as she is in the United States. Come, Holy Spirit. And we pray for the needs of this world. We seek not to get into any argument and certainly to win any argument. But we do long to witness, Lord Jesus Christ, to your presence. And we do know what your word says about some of the matters that are before us at this point in history. Help us, particularly with those of faith who see things differently, to work out our faith with fear and trembling, our salvation, with reverence and trembling, and to trust in you above all, and to not lose heart. I pray for those in this place who may not know you, Lord Jesus, have not uh, responded and been awakened to the presence of your love in this world and in our lives. We pray that they would come to know you. And we thank you that what you have done for us, you have done for everyone. There's no second-class citizen. Help us to grow in the call of vocation in our lives. Help us to see again that this faith is not simply to benefit us, though there are many and tremendous benefits. But we don't have this faith simply so that we can be more moral than somebody else or face an easier time in life or feel your presence when we need it. Some of those are good things. We have this faith for this. This is our very being. That we can witness to others to the surpassing love of Jesus Christ our Lord. Forgive us because many of us have forgotten that for various reasons. But we pray that you would renew us in that call and build your church and bless this world. We pray for this offering that would be used for these purposes, that we would know and others would know of the love of Jesus Christ. We pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.